0: That's watching online, and that is what I want to help you to do today. My goal today is that you can continue dancing when the lights go out. In my job here at the church, I sit down with so many people, and I have heard every story you can imagine. Over the past six months, I've met with over 50 uh, of you or uh, uh, couples, and I have heard everything you can imagine. I have heard all the greatest stories all the most um, horrific things that people can go through. I've heard every everything you can think of. Um, I've heard uh, people say things I, I didn't think were possible um, that have happened to them. I've heard people talk about their greatest fears and their greatest doubts. And I've just, I've, I've heard it all. And uh, the reason that I'm doing this series and uh, is because of those meetings and because of those times as I've sat with you and realized that so many of us are going through such intense trials and challenges. And um, it got to a point a couple of months ago um, after uh, just a couple of meetings where it just seemed like every person I met with was suffering greatly in some way. And it affected me and, and, and in a very deep way. And um, I, I got to this point where uh, um, that I, I needed to somehow put onto paper what I was experiencing. And it didn't start out as like a, a sermon or anything. It started out as a poem. And so I wrote a poem um, about all my meetings with you all and what you're all going through. And, and uh, so this is kind of what happens with me, right? Like when something affects me, I get moved, and then it all just kind of pours out. A couple times a year, I'll just write something or... or uh, um, say something or do something that just is, is kind of an expressive moment of, of whatever it is I'm trying to, to manage. And so I, I wrote this as a result of my meetings with so many of you and it's called It Hurts. Now it comes from my, my perspective. It's, it's from me about trials and tribulations that I've experienced in our church. Um, like I said again, it, it's called It Hurts. So I'm going to read it to you. It hurts. This may sound boastful, but it's not. It's a true confession from a broken heart. Everywhere I go, people are in pain. If I didn't love them, it wouldn't cause me heartbreak. It wouldn't make me strain. Even if I didn't love people, my job, if I didn't love people, my job would be easy, but I do. So I'm constantly grieving. Every other encounter, more definition is brought to the human condition. I hear the story. My heart breaks. I pick myself up and walk into another message of despair, one after the other. If I didn't love people, my job would be easy, but I love them, I care, I just care. So when I hear about their pain, it jumps out of the air and latches onto my heart. It hurts me now. I weep. For every heartbreaking story, there is a story of greatness. That greatness refreshes me, it's the bath, Before the day of work, the shower, the greatness cleans me, then I get weary again. If I didn't love people, my job would be easy. Sometimes I wish I didn't love them, but the more I hurt, the more I love. If I didn't love people, my job would be easy, but it's not. It's hard. It hurts. I love people, and that just hurts. I hope they feel I helped them. They helped me experience love. Did I say... It hurts. I've gotten to this place with so many of you that I want to help you. I want to do a series, I want to have a conversation to sit down and go, you're gonna go through it, the trials are coming, the challenges, what can I do for you? And, and in all of my meetings, I, I have to make an observation that is really driving this series. And, and it's a simple thing, but it's a profound thing, and it's something that I've noticed so clearly in interacting with people at our church and people in general. And it's this right here: when facing trials, God's people have the advantage. When facing trials, God's people have the advantage. And let let me let me enhance that a little bit, because obviously, when you're when you're one of God's people and you're you're born again and you have the Spirit of the Living God inside of you, that's the presence of God. And that spirit is a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. And um, it's it's, it's a powerful spirit that guides us and shapes us and transforms us from the inside out. So when you place your faith in Jesus, you already have an advantage in this world because Jesus has overcome this dark world that we live in. But when someone that has a affectionate, passionate relationship with God where they're pursuing Him, and I mean in very active ways, like John talked about. They're giving. They're serving. They're reading the Scriptures. They're in a small group. They're, they're attending church regularly. They're listening to podcasts. They're reading books about the Scriptures. They're really engaged in their faith, and they really take it personally. What I find is that those people will be sitting with me, and they'll describe their trial, and their trial oftentimes is just as great, if not greater, than someone who doesn't have faith in God, but the person who does have an active, growing faith has a strong difference in the way that they are dispositioned, the way they talk about their problem, the way they engage the problem, the way they handle the grief. Let me just be clear. It doesn't mean that someone who has an active, strong faith in the Lord That They don't cry or they don't weep or they don't struggle or they don't feel the pain. It's the opposite. They feel it deeply. But there's something about their strength that transcends. And I listen to the people who have a great faith in God talk about massive problems, almost as if they're not the kind of problem that other people would think they are. I have sat with people who've gotten the terminal diagnosis and watched them trust God out loud, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their questions, there is a bubbling of faith. And I have watched others of us and, and, and been around people in the community who don't have an active faith. Sometimes, uh, and this is one of the reasons our church exists, it's so important that this happens, you, uh, you know that faith is important. So you're here, you're on the margins, you're engaged at a certain level, something happens, a trial happens, and your physical, everyday needs become extremely clear. And when you don't have an answer to those things, you move into the faith community to try to figure out how to manage whatever it is you're going through. And so I've talked to many people who are just on the beginning, they're on the threshold of their faith, who are engaging in a trial, and I watch as they don't have a faith within God get get kind of forged and the struggle is very, very different. There is almost a, a bartering of whether or not to even believe in God. There is, a, there is a pain that seems to just weigh on them that they can't get through, that, that it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense and it won't make sense. And, and they just have a disposition and a demeanor about their pain. And, and they, they, they almost appear, if you will, to be crumbling under it, and not because they're crying or because they're experiencing real pain, but because in the midst of their despair and their trial, there is an evidence of a lack of hope that is being tested and strained. And so... I'm not up here telling you, hey, you need to have trust in Jesus. You just need to put your faith in Jesus and all your problems will go away. In fact, that's the opposite. The more you have faith, the more trials will probably come your way. Faith doesn't eliminate them. Faith kind of makes them look different. But all that to say, I'm not up here saying you need to buck up. I'm up here saying this sermon is about you. This is my observation. I have watched people uh, handle it and, and struggle and, and I wish that I could oh, kind of make them have a different faith or a different thought and I wish I could fix it in the moment, but I can't because I know the people that kind of look in the face of certain trials and they, they just, they figured it out because there's something they've done where they've taken personal ownership and there's a foundation of their faith that stands strong, it stays in the midst of the earthquake that they're experiencing. And so my question for you today is, whatever trial you're in, whatever trial you've been through, whatever trial is coming your way, do you feel equipped? Because I believe that it's my job to equip you to be strong in the face of trials. It's my job to help you. It's my job, it's our job as a faith community to give you tools to instill in you um, a faith that's real, to help you practice your life in such a way that it honors God and it builds up a fortitude that allows you to not be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of life. That when the waves come, you don't just move all around, but you stand firm and you you have a mooring in the ground. And even though the winds and the waves come, there's something that keeps you tight in your spot. It's my job to help you find that. It's my job to help you experience that. And so that's what this series is about. And so one of the things that I'm gonna talk about next week more but is critical for this series is the idea of trials and tribulations and difficult times and suffering and pain. This is something that in the world we live in is not only expected but almost promised. I mean, Jesus told his disciples in this life You will have trials. You will have troubles. It's going to happen. But he tells them that they can trust in him because the world is dark, but he's overcome the world. And so what I want to do for us today is say, how can we gain the perspective? And how can we gain the advantage? So that when those things come, and I walk in the hospital room, or I walk in your house, or I get the phone call, that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm, there's something that God has done as he's prepared you for this trial. If I don't do that, I feel I'm not doing what one of the things that I, I can offer you. And so some of you are in here and you, you're going through different trials and tribulations and, and you might not feel equipped and in fact, when you look at your life and you look at your ability to handle certain things and there might be certain things, right, that are on your list of if that ever happens, I just, I don't even wanna think about it because if that happens, I won't I won't know how to handle it. I don't know how to handle it. And some Christians and some people feel like the underdog. You know, like, like I just, I, I'm not gonna be able to do I have a disadvantage. There's no way for me to be able to handle certain trials. You might feel like you have a, a, a disadvantage. You might feel like, like, you're, you're an underdog. And that's a difficult place to be in. And what I want to share with you is how you can kind of see being the underdog and see how God is going to take what that means as, as a Christian and flip it for you so that you can actually gain an advantage but just have a different perspective in your life, especially as it relates to your trials. Some of us definitely feel like we're We're not capable, like we don't have the horses to handle the trials that are coming our way. I mean, some of us definitely feel like Maryland, right? Like, how are we going to beat these guys? I mean, you know that the coach for Ohio University, when they played the Buckeyes, he tweeted and he said, playing Ohio State is like going out to recess and picking teams for kickball. And Ohio State got the first 85 picks. And there's some of us, right, like we're sitting in here, And you're going, I don't don't know, am I equipped? Do I have what it takes? I feel like I'm the underdog. And whenever we face trials or or certain uh, giant problems in our life, we have to figure out like, okay, this seems bigger than me. And that's the way a trial can seem. A trial can make us feel like we are the underdog. Like, I'm not equipped. You know, you might think of the, those things, those diagnoses, or, or, or those certain problems that you go, if that comes, I'm not equipped. Lord, save me from that thing. And the reality is, is that's a dangerous place to live because when that thing comes, you know, God has is, is said, I can give you an ability to withhold, to withstand, to grow, to move for that. I'm bigger than that problem. You know, with God, things are very different. And so that's, that's the point of this message. People that have God... They don't feel like the underdog. They feel like they have an advantage. They feel like they can take it. They feel like you, you see a big giant problem and that's, that's the, the observation. One person looks at it and goes I can't handle it and the person with grace, great faith goes I think I got this because something that God has done in me has prepared me to handle the situation and I want everyone to be like that person. That's what I want for you. And so when we think about underdogs, the quintessential example and story of the underdog is this story that we all know of, David and Goliath. And so I told you I was gonna tell you a story and this is the story I wanna tell you today but I wanna share it with you and maybe show you how it's not quite the story that you thought that it was. If you've never heard of David and Goliath, Goliath, even in popular culture or whatever, raise your hand if you've never heard of him. You'll feel really stupid if you raise your hand. I mean, it's fine if you did, it's fine. It's just, we all have kind of a basic idea of this story So let me just give a recap of it real quick, and then I want to show you how different God is with his people than than how people without God are. Um, So you have the Israelites 3,000 years ago in their infancy of their kingdom, and they have a king named Saul. And they've kind of landed on this spot up on the hills in Jerusalem. And down away from the hills is this western Plain called the Shefla, and it's one of the most beautiful, breathtaking pieces of ground in all of Israel, and it goes all the way down to the Mediterranean Sea, and it has all these different valleys and canyons and stuff that run across it so that you can work your way up to the actual um, city or the top of the hills, and the Philistines, who are kind of one of the, the arch nemesis of, of the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they are actually a, a group of people that... Um, came by way of Crete, their seafaring people that, that made their way to that western side, and they settled down in the Shefla in one of the most beautiful regions of that whole area. And because they settled there, they, they were on um, Israelites' radar, and by being in that beautiful place and seeing how beautiful that region was and seeing that mountaintop, uh, at some point they wanted to actually take over the mountain. so they worked their way up the side of this this, uh, this vast plain, into this one valley, the Valley of Allah, and they had their army on one ridge, and Saul moved his army to another ridge, and there they faced off at a standstill, and there was no one willing to actually go down into the valley, because if you did, you were kind of at a disadvantage, and you were a sitting duck, and, and so they, would, they, they kind of just waited, and so for days and days, they just had a standoff, and eventually, the Philistines they had a champion fighter named Goliath and they sent him down into the valley for something that was common during wartime, uh, uh, during that time of the world called single combat. And single combat was this idea of hey, let's get rid of all the bloodshed and let's just have one of us fight you. Our best guy will fight your best guy. And then whoever wins, you know, the rest is is history. We get to kind of take over this land and, and you become our people or vice versa. And so Goliath was every day going out into the valley and he was yelling up at the Israelites saying, I'm here. I'll fight you. I'll destroy you. Bring your best and I'll take you out. And He was, um, as you know, he was a giant. The Bible says that he was covered with bronze uh, uh, material and armor and that he had a javelin and he had a sword and that he had a, 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 um, a shield that was so big that someone else was carrying it and that he came down into this mountain and he yelled out and he was so big and so scary that nobody was willing to take him on. I mean, this guy was a giant. He scared every person that... Heard him, and so every single day he'd go out, and all the Israelite people were on the hill hearing him every day, going, "I'm not taking him on. There's no way I'm taking him on. This guy's almost nine foot nine, 125 pounds of armor. There's no way anybody's going to take this guy on. He'll just he'll just destroy you. I mean, if you've ever been around, um, you know, a professional athlete, someone who maybe plays for an offense or defensive line in the NFL, you know what I'm talking about. Yesterday, um, I was uh, I was just out and about, and, and I saw Andy Katzemoyer. If you remember Andy Katzemoyer, he was one of these amazing linebackers for, for the Buckeyes. He wore number 45. He played for Westerville South. This guy was a man among boys. Like, like when you see him, I, I looked at him yesterday, and I thought, man, I hope that when I grow up, I like, look like a man, too. And I realized, like, I'm 39. Like, I'm a man. This isn't going to happen. This, this, this guy is a man among boys. This guy was so big, I remember that... Um, just watching him run sideline to sideline in, in Ohio State games and just demolish people. He's one of the best linebackers that we ever had. And, you know, I, there's a guy in our town that you may know He played for the Buckeyes named Michael Redd. I know Michael Redd, and we spent a little time together. And when you're around him, just he's a, he's a great Ohio State basketball player. He's a great professional. Just... Big, big hands, big shoulders, and you just see, that, okay, there's just like a size differentiation here of, of why this guy is a professional athlete. There's just, there's just a difference. So you take the biggest amongst us, and now you add a couple feet. I mean, imagine Shaquille O'Neal feeling like kind of small. That's how big Goliath was. If you watch Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley fighting on the sets of TNT, you know this is a scary situation. Right, like this is a bad situation. This guy's big and scary. And so every day he's taunting the Israelites and there happens to be a boy named David who is related to some of the soldiers in the army and he is a shepherd boy. And he brings some food to his brothers who are fighting for the Israelites. And while he's there, there's talk of this Goliath and one day David overhears Goliath and he inquires about it and he says, what's the deal, I I wanna, you know, I'm, I'm, why is this all happening? What does this all mean? And, and they say, hey, if you go and beat this guy, Saul has said that he'll give you a bunch of stuff, a bunch of money, a bunch of resources, whatever, a, a, I think a wife, He all kinds of stuff, and, and we, want, we want to beat this guy, but nobody can. And David says in front of his brothers, I can beat him. I can beat him. And they're like, you need to be quiet. And because he says that and there's no hope in the camp, it gets back to Saul. So he goes to Saul and he says, I I can beat this guy. Saul says, how could you beat this guy? This is one of the greatest fighters. Look at him. He's a giant. There's no way you can do this. And David is like, I can do this. Like, I can do this. I promise you I have this sling. And this sling is um, something that I've used so many times to fight off lions and wolves because I'm a shepherd. And he basically convinces Saul in that moment, like, I can do this. And Saul ultimately goes, Okay, go do it. So here's the battle. The next day, Goliath comes down. Saul tries to give David his arm his armor. He says, I can't wear all that. That's not the way I work. So he just goes and gets five smooth stones. He's got his sling, and he goes down into the valley, and there's this interaction, and David apparently whips this sling around hits Goliath right between the eyes. He falls on the ground, either unconscious or dead. David runs up to him, grabs his sword, chops his head off, holds it in front of the Philistines, and they all turn and run. That's the story of David and Goliath. But God gave him the victory that day. But here's the thing about that. You and I, we see that, hear that story, and we think that's an underdog story. There's the big giant, there's the big problem, there's the thing that nobody can overcome, that nobody can figure out, but for some reason we probably think you know, God just made him lucky or God just gave him an extra little push that day or you know he had good aim that day. But the reality is is that this story is really not a story of underdog, it's a story of perspective. It's a story of David actually having a very real advantage. So let me share a couple things about these two characters. David, first of all, is an anointed person. And what that means is that he had Samuel, who's a prophet, basically find him and bless him and tell him he was going to be the king of Israel. So David is told, as a young boy, he's going to be the king. Ultimately, what that means for him is that God is on my side. God believes in me, God's behind me, God is for me. David believes that. He believes that he is God's person. So what you see is already just from the beginning, the confidence that David has as he goes to fight a battle is not just in his abilities. It's in something deeper. It's in a God who loves him. And I have to tell you, That when you believe that God loves you, when you believe that God's blessed you and he cares for you and he's died and he loves you, he died for you and and he would give you everything because he has given you everything. When you see that your value comes from the amount that God was willing to pay for you and you actually believe in your soul that you belong to God, it does something different for you. People who believe they belong to God act differently than people who don't. They just know I'm in God's care. David knew he was blessed by God. Do you know you are blessed by God? God is calling you to be his child. He wants you in his family. When you embrace the person of Jesus, the scriptures say you're born again into his family and now you are his adopted son and daughter and you are blessed. God's hand is on your life. When you believe God's hand is on your life, it doesn't matter what life throws at you. It changes you. And I see people who believe that God's hand is on their life face trials very differently than people who don't. David believed that. The second thing is that David had this sling. And at first we might think slingshot. You know, I think of those things that had like the rubber band and you put a pebble in it. But this couldn't have been further from that. This was actually a weapon of warfare. He had a weapon that was used in warfare during that time as the um, artillery for battle. There's common ideas of battle that have been going on for thousands of years, and you know the basic uh, roles in a battle, right, you have infantry, those who are on the ground with the sword, shield, you have the cavalry, those who are on the horse or the chariots, and then you have the artillery, the arrows, or in many cases, especially in that part of the world, slingers. And there were people that perfected slinging. It was a weapon of warfare. It was designed to be used at long ranges. And so ultimately, a person who's good in artillery kind of trumps a person who's in infantry. So David was excellent at the sling, and the sling was these two pieces of leather, and he would spin it around so fast that it's believed that a sling like this could hit a target accurately at 200 meters, up to 200 meters in distance, and that the speed that it would get launched was if it was done well by the best of the best, close to that of a 45 caliber handgun. So David shows up, and he's a slinger, and all the other people are watching a guy on the ground Asking people to come fight him up close. And they're going, I'm going to fight that guy up close. I'm not going to take on a giant guy in the infantry. David goes, I'll sling that bad boy. I'll hit him. He says to Saul, I can do that. I, done, I did this the same deal. I can hit this guy. This guy's not, not, not more than that one wolf or that one you know, lion. I can take this on. On top of that, it's believed that in the valley of Allah, that the stones are made of barium sulfate. I know that makes me sound like I know stuff about like uh, geology, I know nothing. Barium sulfate apparently is twice as dense as regular stones. And so ultimately, David loads his gun with the best artillery you could possibly find. And he knows, I can take this guy. So there's David, you have a guy who knows God's hand is on him, he is great with his sling, he has the best uh, weaponry you can find, and he has the advantage. We see giant, he sees advantage. On top of that, what's interesting is they've learned a lot about Goliath, a lot about Goliath. And as they've studied the things that he says, when David and him face off in the valley, uh, it's amazing. Now you can go read tons about this in a book called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, which I suggest you do. It's absolutely fascinating. But what they have found by looking at this text in 1 Samuel, which I want you to open up your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, it's in the first maybe quarter uh, or a third of, of your Bible, maybe fifth actually. And You're going to go to chapter 17, and that is the story of David and Goliath. And when you jump to chapter, or verse 43, this is where David and Goliath are facing off in the valley of Allah. And this is what happens when David comes down, and and, uh, he's now visible to Goliath. It says this, he said to David, am I a dog? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, when looking at this closer and knowing how tall he probably was, there's a couple things that have jumped out. The first one is this, that he says sticks. He says sticks. Now, it says earlier in the text that David had one stick, one staff. And so apparently, Goliath, he sees two sticks. Kind of interesting. Now, we know from what I just told you, that he is an infantry fighter. He's a close-up, hand-to-hand fighter. But it's interesting that while David is moving towards him, Goliath says, come here. And what they have found and what they believe is that Goliath most likely had a condition called acromeglia. Acromeglia is when a benign tumor attaches itself to the pituitary gland and it sends an overly um, necessary amount of growth hormone to to the body. People that have giantism today all have this. Andre the Giant had acromegalia. There's belief that um, Abraham Lincoln had acromegalia. Anyone who gets bigger than their heart can actually handle and just continues to grow probably has this condition, and then recently they've been able to, able to find it. The interesting thing about acromegalia is it makes you very slow, which is something that when we look in the text, we see that, that he is slow, that he's having to be led out on the field, and it also plays a huge role in vision because the, that tumor affects the vision center of the brain. And so they've found that people with acromegalia, they move slow, They can't see very far, and they have double vision. So this explains it. There's Goliath. He's in this valley. He starts to see something moving, and he sees a guy with a stick, but he thinks he has two sticks. Hey, what are you coming at me with, sticks? David's like, that's just one stick, bro. This is a sling. That's a stick. Okay. And then he's kind of, you can just, you know, you can imagine. He looks off to the side of him, because there's maybe two of them, he has double vision, he says, come here so I can devour you and feed you to the beasts. And David's like, oh my gosh, this giant can't even see me. So there he goes. He whips up his sling, fires, hits him right between the eyes, and down goes the giant. You see, this is not a story of the underdog, that God shows up and does something supernatural and wins a battle. This is a story about how we in the world experience trials and giants and difficult situations. And when we have God, no matter how big the giant is, we have the advantage. And that's what I wanna give to you. I want you to see that those who follow Christ, that know they're blessed, that take their previous trials and, and hew them into good works and wisdom, these are the people that have advantages. You want this. You need this. So here's the deal. How do we get it? How do we gain this advantage? How do we get it for ourselves? It's a, It's an interesting process. In the book of James, which is, One of the last books in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, talks about the purpose of trials and what trials actually do for us. So I want to read that with you. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, this is uh, in the back of the Bible, after the book of Hebrews, and it's an amazing book, probably written by the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor in Jerusalem. After Jesus left, he didn't leave and go spread the gospel over. He led the church in Jerusalem. And so he knows that those Christians who were Jewish by their, their kind of birth that then embraced the Christian mission, that they're under a lot of different uh, speculative trials and persecutions and confusing uh, experiences. And so what he's trying to tell them is that God is faithful in those trials because you're new in this this following Christ situation. So he says this in chapter two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face various trials of many kinds. Many kinds. All different kinds of trials, you can consider it joy, because you know that the testing of your faith, or the proving of your faith, develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything not lacking anything so ultimately what the brother of jesus says is that when you go through trials it strengthens your faith it actually makes you stronger trials strengthen our faith in god you see when we first start off on our journey and we place our faith in god i want you to view that as that's like a little bit of faith you started it's a lot of faith in God. It's a lot to trust, but it's a little bit of your faith. You're taking all you have and going, okay, I'm gonna trust my life with a God who can handle it and fix this spiritual situation and, and, and help me, but it, it makes sense, doesn't it? That by default, when you first put your faith in God, your faith is young, it's small. It's not as strong as it needs to get. Ultimately, that faith moved and placed its trust in God because of a great need. So because you had a need, you trusted in God. Now, what God tells us is that you don't just need me once. You don't just need me twice. You don't just need me at the beginning. That little faith of yours, that's supposed to grow and get stronger. And ultimately, the way that I'm going to help you grow in your faith is similar to the way it started. You needed me to save you. You're going to have challenges in your life where you need me all the time. So when you need me, you're going to rely on me and I'm going to prove myself to you in my own way and therefore make your faith grow up, make you have more maturity, give you everything you need give you an advantage. And this is why he says you can have joy. Now that does not mean that you should be happy because of the trials. That's cognitive dissonance. That does not make sense. We're not supposed to be happy because of trials. Trials are hard and we're supposed to experience them as they are hard. But the Christian can look at a trial and know God is doing something in this to grow me. We we have no problem taking on trials that are self-prescribed. If we are going to work out or we are going to save money or we are going to build something, we understand that it comes with a certain level of pain, a certain level of a process. So for some reason, most of us have this weird problem when the world and its challenges are so hard that we have to stretch our faith. But the Christ follower Sees it differently. The Christ follower goes, Oh, yeah, this is life, man. God told me I need to depend upon Him. And so, as I depend upon Him, my faith is going to grow and I'm going to, to become a different person in trusting God. A lot of people, and one of the biggest lies in the church is the more faith you have, the less trials you'll have. Maybe you've grown up and you've felt that, you've heard that. You know, maybe it's, it's indirect. If you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with a problem, and some Christian comes along and says, you just got to have faith. You just got to have faith. And, And it's almost like they're saying, you know, your faith should get rid of those problems. But it's actually the opposite. The opposite is actually true. You see, what happens in the world is the problems strengthen our faith. The problems are coming, so our strength is supposed to grow as a result of them. Faith doesn't eliminate trials. Faith grows in the midst of them. And so God is in the process of giving us an opportunity to grow and trust him and show up. Um, ultimately, when you think about David, put it, put it this way. All David did was get opportunities to continue to trust God more. His faith continued to grow every time he interacted. The other thing that happens when we go through trials is it gives us tools for future trials this is the story of david and goliath this is why he had an advantage imagine david look it was years people i was out on a field with sheep and there were lions and wolves and bears and oh my all of it right it's all there and I had failures. You could just see, like, if you if you had, like, some kind of behind the scenes with David that he's sitting there going, yeah, I mean, there was one time, like, this one wolf, like, ripped off half my arm, and I lost three sheep that day, and the next day I made it different, and I put my fire in a different spot. And you can just see that he, he went through years of learning to use his sling and fight things off. Those were trials. Those were difficult situations. Those were sometimes affected by weather and circumstances and terrain, and David had to figure all of that out. And what he did is those situations turned into a tool for facing Goliath. He went and said, I have the maturity. I actually have the insight. I know how to take this on. You and I see David and Goliath and he's the underdog. And David saw it as, I'm not the underdog. I'm under God. I'm in his name and I have been trained to take this on. He had the advantage. Imagine standing with David on the side of that cliff and looking in his face. All the other people in the army are terrified. Who's going to take on this giant human that's a a soldier, a killing machine? David went, I can do it. I can do it. I'm God's man. He blessed me. And I've been trained. And I have seen people who know that God's hand is on their life and take the trials that they're going through. Gain a measure of insight into the world that's hard to comprehend. They know how to navigate, they know how to do certain things differently. They've been trained and they take those difficulties and they parlay them in to doing life differently and doing it better and living a life of faith in God. When facing trials, God's people have the advantage. David and Goliath is a story of advantage. I'm gonna share one final s- story and, and then and I want to pray for us. I get to see this all the time. I get to see people who represent that advantage and people who are just starting to understand who God is and how to trust him. Recently I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is the father of um, one of the kids that my son plays on the soccer team with. And he and his family—they have a couple kids. and They just had a, another little baby girl, and they found out recently that she had a heart problem—a pretty serious one, where there, there's a hole in in her heart. And it just hurt. And and this was recent. And I, 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 have talked to so many people that have lost their their children, or 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 even, um, you know, been estranged from their children, or or had. Sickness diagnoses, or, or or just all kinds of horrific things that I've, I've been, you know, proximate to. And for some reason, as I was talking to this man who doesn't go to our church, um, I just, I was heartbroken for him that they had this precious little baby girl and that they were gonna try to, you know, help her the best that they can. And Everything I know, I know about David and Goliath. I know we got to trust God. I know that there is real hope. All this stuff. I'm a pastor, of course I know. I have hope. I've been around some of the darkest moments and brightest moments and I see God do all this stuff all the time, making beauty from ashes. It's just what he does and, and you know, rah, rah, rah. But for some reason, it's kind of all of that just like, it's just like paused and I just went to this guy and I just like, how, I asked, how are you going to get through this? This nerve-wracking process of, surgeries and going to a different state to get the best care and worrying about your daughter all the time. And he looked at me, tears in his eyes, and he said a lot of prayer, a lot of faith. And he just had a confidence. He just had something supernatural. And I'm telling you, he's an example of a Person who has a strong faith in God. This person is on the setup team for New Albany Presbyterian Church. He's heavily involved in the leadership of their church. He's heavily involved in being a volunteer. He has an active daily faith. He's in small groups and he's not perfect by any measure, and neither am I. But you could tell that because of where he spent his time developing his relationship with God, that in the midst of that trial, He had an advantage. I want everyone to have an advantage. I want everyone to invest in their relationship with God so that you can overcome the giant that shows up. Let's pray for a second. God, thank you so much. I pray, God, that because of you we can see victory in our lives. Because we learn from you, because we we see the world differently, because we embrace what's happening around us and believe that you're going to do something through it. I just pray, God, that you would help us see the advantages that we gain in Christ Jesus. Change us from the inside out. Give us new hope. Give us new revelation. Help us to understand something new about the world that we're living in. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We're gonna sing a little bit of this song and I just wanna say this before the band uh, sings. Next week, I am going to answer the question that's the number one question around pain and suffering and that is, why does God allow it? Why does God allow it? As I talk about the things that you need to to give you the advantage, this is a perspective that I think will help you and help uh, many, many people around you. So please come back. And let's, uh, let's watch God uh, make a victory in our lives.
1: Sing this with us. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good turn it for good, yes you do, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good, you turn it for good. to turn. You guys came to be a part of this first week of the series. I'm excited to see what God does as he takes us on this journey, what Joel has and wants to share with us. We love you guys so much. We're glad you're here. Don't miss next week. It's going to be awesome. Have a great one.